When you visit a web page, the creator of that web page's intent is to present you a seamless experience that fills your browser's window. That web page or web application is generally divided up in some meaningful ways across navigation elements, content, ads, headers, footers, and other components. Those components are probably the work of independent teams. Typically, a web app is built in a single code base, pulling together all of those independent components into a monolithic software application. For back-end software development, these monoliths are often split up or refactored towards microservice architecture. Similar approaches are now appearing for front-end design. In this episode, I interview Luca Mezzarilla, author of Building Micro Frontends. Luca, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Well, to kick things off, can you tell me a little bit about how you got your first experience in software development? Oh, yeah. So I myself thought, let's start in that way. I first worked in a factory for a few years, and in the evening I was studying how to write code in Flash back in the days. I studied, obviously, HTML, CSS that I still think is black magic, and JavaScript. But I think at the beginning of my career, I was devoted to build softwares with Flash and the Flash platform that led to, let's say, starting my, my journey on the web, but then moving to more mobile, desktop applications, embedded systems with with the Flash platform that I know sounds unreasonable, but uh, it was working pretty well back in the days. And I work a lot in uh, cross-platform applications. I think uh, all my career, I spent, I I developed a lot of uh, cross-platform applications uh, that could run in multiple devices. And yeah, that was the beginning of my career, basically. So self-thought, studied every day, a bit every day, because that is my mantra. And I truly believe that is the way how we keep up with with good things. There has been a lot of evolution of philosophy and thought on how to design software in the time period you described. Back, you know, when I got started, everything was monoliths, and then we've moved a little bit into microservices. Could you share a few of your thoughts on how these things have evolved through time and maybe what some best practices are that people should follow today? Yeah, so it's completely true. So software architecture evolved uh, quite a lot, especially in the last few years, I would say. If we think from the early days of uh, model view control, that we are talking about 70s, 80s, the things are changed a lot. I have to say, recently, I'm quite passionate about distributed system, mainly because uh, there is an inherent complexity that you need to handle, you need to understand uh, and master. And there are plenty of patterns that you need to study. And uh, in the meanwhile, you know, I still not think that the monolithic code bases uh, are gone for good. I think they are still there and they should be there because there is a lot of good for, uh, for instance, a three-layer software architecture. There are certain software that they might be developing that way without any problem because in reality, what they are uh, doing is just simplifying the infrastructure part, focusing the effort around the development. And it doesn't mean that when you develop a software, then you should remain as it is for the rest of its uh, lifespan. But uh, it means only that for certain period of time for a specific result that you need to achieve a monolithic code base is still working. However, nowadays building software, it means often, uh, more often than not, a collaboration between teams. And in that case, I see that there, uh, there is a lot of value with distributed architectures. 
Well, I'm going to take for granted that most listeners are already familiar with microservice architecture, very popular idea, but I don't know that they're going to be familiar with micro frontends. As the author of Building Micro Frontends, Scaling Teams and Projects, Empowering Developers, can you define what a micro frontend is? Sure. Microfrontends are a technical representation of a business subdomain, and uh, they differ from components on the fact that uh, microfrontends should be independent. So you can deploy them independently. There isn't a container that is orchestrating the microfrontend, and the extensibility is inside the microfrontend. is not like a, a component that you can extend, compose, and do a lot of other things. So that, that is a key a differentiator. The other thing is microfrontends could be developed with same or different technology choice. It's completely up to the team to decide. Usually I recommend to go with uh, the same technology, but sometimes having multiple technologies could help, especially when you are migrating from um, a monolithic architecture towards microfrontends and you want to immediately start to get the benefit of microfrontends where you are deploying in production your first microfrontends that is living alongside the monolithic uh, architecture. And finally, uh, they tend as an distributed architecture to avoid sharing too much code between microfrontends because that will uh, mean external dependencies or coupling that is even worse for distributed architectures and they're owned by a single team so a team should own end-to-end a microfrontend from writing the code a long way to to production so they should uh, maintain the microfrontend and also uh, operate the microfrontend properly. And are these, you know, design practices and philosophies or are there uh, software tools and libraries that uh, can assist in the process as well? Yeah, sure. Nowadays, I would say the ecosystem is getting, let's say, quite rich. We have a client-side rendering uh, framework or, or plugins, like, for instance, uh, in the terms of plugins, we think about Mojo Federation that is available for Webpack. And uh, in terms of, of client-side rendering uh, framework, we can think about single SPA that has been a while that is uh, that is available. We have also server-side rendering possibilities, like, for instance, recently there was an announcement of the creator of Mojo Federation that he was able to use Mojo Federation for doing server-side rendering transport the code of transportation and that basically means that we can apply microfrontends there but I would say that there are quite a few uh, interesting other uh, possibilities for instance uh, SAP launched uh, Luigi framework that is a framework based on iframes for encapsulating different microfrontends all together on the client side we have uh, quite a few companies back in the days that have done edge side include therefore they uh, composition of our microfrontends was happening uh, at the CDN level. So in reality, there is a variety of techniques, uh, and those are just some of them that currently allows you to build microfrontends. But I think the effort, although more than on the implementation details that are definitely important, should be done upfront when we start to think how we are going to divide microfrontends and how we are going to think what a microfrontend represents for our context. Are there any examples of companies or sites that have done a pretty good job of embracing this approach that you can point to? 
Yeah, I think there are many nowadays that are out there that are implementing this uh, uh, architecture style. For instance, if we think about PayPal, release uh, uh, an interesting blog post uh, describing how they have divided their uh, user interface uh, for the PayPal website. ThoughtWorks uh, have several implementation on different customers, not only on web, but also on uh, native mobile application. Ionic recently launched a, a feature that would allow to mix and match web with native co- native code for creating uh, also a sort of microphone tent implementation. So there are plenty of resources out there or plenty of, of good implementations that are representing this architecture style. Another one that, uh, that was probably one the first one that I have seen in my experience was made by Zalando. It is a fashion e-commerce. The company I was working before is called The Zone. It is a, a, a live streaming platform. They we implemented that not only only on on web, but also on on certain living room devices. So there is a variety of, uh, let's say, case studies that currently are available for for the microphone dance implementation. So for a company that's doing a good job, uh, I guess one of the key features is an independence between the teams. On a microservices architecture, I kind of get the framework for that, where different endpoints could actually be routed to different uh, backend architectures and things like that. But in my mind, when I think of a front end, I'm expecting one bundle to arrive at my browser. Uh, Is it still the same experience or has that shifted? Uh, it shifted. Let's say we had also in the past uh, uh, some evolution around sending a unique bundle like single page application architecture towards the, the client. We started to have the possibility to lazy load certain uh, part of our JavaScript uh, using Webpack, for instance. But you can also use in certain frameworks the possibility to lazy load entire components. The interesting bit is this is evolving constantly and uh, often we are thinking about, uh, let's say, uh, implementing uh, front-end only with single-page application, but we have now different architecture style available on the front-end. We have the Jamstack, uh, we have server-side rendering that could happen at runtime. We can have isomorphic applications where you have code that is running on the client and on the server, and you have single-page application, and recently, micro-front-ends. And by embracing micro frontends, am I gaining uh, performance benefits in addition to sort of the organizational benefits? It depends how you develop your microphone tents. There are some customers uh, that I followed in the past that they decided to go with microphone tents for enabling their team to use multiple frameworks. It's not, let's say, one of the best approach, in my opinion. I think uh, the performances uh, should be quite key for uh, handling uh, your application properly. Therefore, you cannot really avoid to or forget about them. Uh, one thing that, uh, although I have seen that is very interesting, that uh, especially if we compare microfrontends with a single page application, is before you were downloading the entire bundle with all the SDKs, and despite you were authenticated or non-authenticated user, you had all the application code. Oh, in this in this way, instead of with our microfrontends, you can download only the code needed for a specific task. So imagine, for instance, that we are slicing our application in multiple domains, and then we have 
uh, I don't know, for instance, the catalog that is under uh, authenticated area. So what you could do is the serving just a catalog or a portion of the catalog in, in microphone tents. And then uh, let's say, meanwhile, the user is going through the entire uh, UI slowly, but steadily loading only the parts that were needed. And that basically result in savings, a lot of kilobytes potentially, because if we think, for instance, for, I don't know, a retail application or uh, even uh, a subscription uh, service, the user subscribes just once, right? So when it's subscribed, then unless it's going to change its payment method, it's not going to need once again to download the code for all the SDK for credit card, PayPal, and all the other payment methods that you want to apply. So in that case, it also means that you can save that when the user is uh, authenticated and just provide the code related to authenticated area and maybe also only a part of the authenticated area because if you divide your authenticated area in multiple microphone tents, then you might risk that it's even lighter what, what the user is, is doing. So I have always been a big fan of allowing developers to pick their own tools. I guess maybe the danger to that is you end up with this Frankenstein monster of different technologies and no one knows the big picture. But at least in the back end, we have some nice approaches like microservices uh, you know, it's just a JSON input with a REST interface. I don't really have to care what's behind the scenes. I have this kind of universal way of talking to that service. I'm having trouble picturing how that might work on the front end. Like if we have a team that does React and another team that's invested in Ruby, how do we get them to collaborate? So the collaboration could be uh, in different ways. So it really depends from your context. I'll give you an example. Cross-functional teams are definitely a thing. And therefore, you have to, let's say, think about microphone tents that could work with cross-functional teams or with components teams. So just from 10 developers, for instance, and you have another team of backend developers. The reality is it really depends on uh, how your organization structure works. Because in fact, if you have microphone tents that are running cross-functional, for instance, you are going to have your team that is responsible maybe for one subdomain, piece of subdomain, and then you have the backend working together. And you can potentially, what could happen is that you have one team that is working with React another with, with Angular. That usually there are ways to isolate those two code bases. For instance, if you have uh, a team that is working with React and they're using, I don't know, Module Federation, you can uh, have a different scope. Or if you're using iFrame by design, you have this sandbox that basically is isolating your code from the rest of the application. If you're using on the backend, so you're doing server-side rendering, potentially you can think on having more standards. So maybe you have HTML fragments. But usually what I have seen uh, so far, more than having this, as you described, Frankenstein architecture, having say, a consistency on the UI, it, it makes to me more sense and also it will allow you to really optimize your dependencies and the code that is shipped towards uh, your users because otherwise you risk that the user is downloading more libraries than the business logic that has to be let's say used inside your application that I don't see the benefit around there. A question that's forming in my mind then as I think about splitting up a front end is how do we manage any shared state that's there? Should I be thinking about that? Are there techniques for sharing state or do we really want the subsystems to be independent? 
Yeah, so sharing the state usually is what I call an anti-pattern because uh, the risk of having a global state across multiple microphone tents in the same view is basically vanify the concept of independent artifacts. Then you need to start to coordinate with other teams and if someone introduces bugs, maybe could affect other microphone tents. It's not uh, an easy thing to, to handle. My recommendation there is uh, using publish subscribe pattern that all with microservice helped a lot uh, back in the days and still today is, is helping. So in the case of front-end, for instance, you can use an event emitter, you can use reactive streams, you can use custom events that are native in JavaScript. And in this way, you are basically communicating what are the inputs and the output of your microphone tent. So you know exactly that the microphone tent is dispatching certain events or uh, reacting to certain events. And, and that is a good way for maintaining independence between the teams, but also uh, maintain loosely coupled your, your microphone tents that can communicate uh, easily through, through events. Usually, to be honest with you, if you slice properly the, the application, you're not going to have gazillion of microphone tents in the same view. And therefore, if that is true and you have a few of them, there won't be many events that are bubbling around, around the application. So in terms of slicing up my front end then, what do we do in terms of layouts? How can I assign different regions of my front end to different teams? Yeah, so usually my suggestion is starting always from uh, how the users are interacting with, uh, with your application. So understanding that part, understanding then how many teams has to work inside the application and how much reusability you're going to uh, to have inside your uh, microphone tents. When you start to see those dimensions, you start to follow also the concept of domain-driven design where you identify the different domains that probably is, uh, if you are working with microservices, is something that links very well with the front end. You can start to understand what are the different parts of your application. I personally found very useful looking at domain-driven design in conjunction with how the users were, were interacting with the application because I discovered quite a few interesting things. So for instance, an authenticated user, where was going and which path were, were following, how often it went, I don't know, in, in the My Account area, for instance, more than logging out from, from the application. So those kind of things are information that are uh, absolutely great and you should take into account as an input for understanding how to slice your applications. Can we dive a little deeper on domain-driven design? Uh, how do we start from what I, let's hope that the business has a good uh, d definition. How do we take that and start to shape our micro front ends with respect to it? Yeah, sure. So my suggestion there is starting, as you said, from, from the business, right? So you want to first have an ubiquitous language. So everyone is talking uh, in the same way, business and techies. And then you start to analyze how is composed your application. For instance, maybe you realize that your application has a, a payment domain and then you have, I don't know, a user domain, a catalog domain. And it depends how coarse grain and fine grain you want to go because it depends how big is your company and uh, how complex is, is your uh, application to, to model. But there is, is usually a, a good starting point. And then from there, uh, you start to understand, uh, okay, I have uh, uh, this 
big domain and how I'm going to, to translate that in microservices and microfrontends. And that also depends on uh, how you, you structure your teams, how many people are going to work in that domain and, and so on and so forth. Because personally, I have seen certain cross-functional teams that were going very, very granular, but there was just one and they had to handle tens of microservices and microfrontends. That is, it becomes very quickly unmanageable despite you have a lot of flexibility. So sometimes you need really to rationalize on and realize uh, if you really need to go that uh, deep on, on dividing your application or not and which benefit you are losing and what you're gaining. So I think it's uh, quite important to try to understand properly not only the application, but certain decisions should fit your organization. You'd mentioned iframes as one way to do this, which makes perfect sense to me. You have, you know, a complete isolation. You can just kind of have a grid and populate it with different micro front ends. But iframes always make me a little nervous for some reason. For one thing, SEO concerns, but also, and it just feels like something that's perhaps being phased out. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Should I be concerned about using iframes? You should, and you're right. There are other techniques. Iframes is one of the possibility. I think if you think in the context of, of uh, SAP, they are working mainly in uh, uh, enterprise applications that are vast majority of the time internal and not external. Therefore, their SEO is uh, less important if you think about that. On the other side, if you have like a front-facing application that maybe is consumed by millions of, of customers, going with other techniques uh, that could be server-side rendering, for instance, if SEO is really, really important, could be a possibility. Now, there is, uh, if you want to talk about iframes, there is uh, currently a draft in the TC39 that is looking into JavaScript language around uh, realms that I think they, they changed recently the name. I, I need to double check that. Shadow of something should be. Uh, Shadow of realm, I think is, is it. And they are basically providing the same benefits of iframes, but without the heaviness of iframes. So you have a real sandbox, but in a very lightweight approach. That is something very interesting. It's not there yet, but uh, something to keep an eye on it. But in general, you can also uh, scope your JavaScript in a way that doesn't clash. For instance, System.js allows you to do so, or in the client-side rendering phase, um, I'm talking right now, or even Mod Federation. So there are ways that you can mitigate that problem without using iframes. Let's say the iframes has another plus that is handling the memory for you because the moment that you are removing or changing the location of your iframe, then everything that is inside there is disposed. On other approaches instead, you need to request the microphone tents to remove all the listeners and maybe clean up a bit the variables and the things that were created inside the, the main memory for then leaving the garbage collector later on of the JavaScript engine to, to handle the, the disposal. And ultimately, in a micro front end, am I transpiling or compiling or getting everything into JavaScript one way or another? Or is there an opportunity for other languages to be involved, present for the user on the front end? You are uh, transpiling JavaScript uh, as usual. So uh, as you are doing currently in uh, single page applications of side rendering, you would do exactly in the same way with microfrontends. I think the, the big difference although is that instead of having uh, like in a monolithic code base just once for, for everything, you're going to have uh, for uh, multiple parts of your application. Therefore, the automation part is kind of key for uh, achieving, uh, let's say, good results with microfrontend. You can 
cannot really think of microphone tents or in general, I would say distributed architectures without an investment on uh, the automation part. One advantage in uh, sticking to strictly a single framework like Vue or React or Angular is there's a pretty mature uh, path for how it gets built and deployed and all these sorts of things. I like it very much. It's quick to start things up. I feel like there's a layer or something else I need here to orchestrate or connect all my tools. Is, is there a solution to help me adopt micro frameworks or do I have to invent a few things along the way? No, that that's true. And once again, this problem was uh, was uh, solved uh, in different ways. For instance, uh, if you think about single SPA for client side rendering, you can do that very very easily because you can create an application shell, as it's called, and the application shell is the container of microphone tents. Should be completely unaware of the business domain, therefore could be potentially run in with multiple microphone tents, despite that is a specific domain or another one, because his role is mainly low loading and unloading microphone tents based on the routes that currently the user wants to, to see. And that is one way. In the case of uh, server-side rendering, in, uh, instead, you have like a mapping between routes that is one page, one set of microphone tents. At the end, it doesn't change much because the composition is handled at the server-side level. And therefore, what happens there is you are composing your microphone tent and serving the page to, to the customer. So it depends what kind of approach you want to use if either server-side rendering. So in that case, for the customer at the end, is downloading just the, the, the full page with uh, like he would do on a normal server-side rendering application or if the user wants something else and therefore you want to create a client-side rendering application with an application shell that is taking care of a portion of the orchestration that has to happen in, uh, in the microphone tense world. And how does this affect a release schedule? If we have kind of these independent features where teams own different pieces of the front end, can they also do totally independent release schedules? Yes, indeed. Not always, I would say. In my experience, there is always uh, at some point during the year, the moment that we you need to change multiple microphone tents for delivering a feature. But the idea is exactly that. So you are an independent team and you can deploy as many times you want. And that's something that I have seen with my eyes in my previous company where we moved from a monolithic code base with a release schedule that was quite tight to microphone tents. We could atomically deploy a, a portion of our application and then we could do multiple times. Then you can use uh, also for enforcing this mechanism and minimizing the blast radio if, if a bug is introduced inside the, the code, like feature flags or canary releases that would allow you basically to shape the traffic or how many users will see the new feature. And in that case, you would be able to also minimize the risk that you are impacting multiple customers. And that is usually a, a great way for encouraging the developers to be more brave and start to to ship more often uh, because sometimes there is a, a paralysis that is happening uh, because developers are not feeling comfortable with uh, their CI, CD, and automation strategy and deployment for deploying more often than, uh, I don't know, a few times per month their code. Instead, if we are capable to create an environment where automation helps them to create confidence, I think we will be in a great spot. And distributed system really need that because they are doing already a big favor to developers reducing the cognitive 
massive load that they need to take care of. Therefore, there is less risk that they're going to introduce bugs like in a large code base. And also the fact that there will be a knockout effect across multiple parts of the application. So we have already this. So the next part is uh, having a strong automation pipeline that would help developers to build their solution in with a fast feedback loop. When we have our application divided up then into these micro front ends, the different components, I can see where there's a lot of advantages in that they can independently manage dependencies and things like that. Uh, perhaps we can reduce some bloat. Yet there are commonalities. Probably every micro front end needs logging or Axios or something along those lines. Can we introduce a, or do we end up with a new type of bloat where we have redundant things because of the independence? Not necessarily. It depends how you want to structure that. So in the case of a shared library is what you could do, and I have seen in, in many occasions, is creating a repository just for shared libraries. And in that case, basically, we'll have this own pipeline for deployment and all the microfrontends will basically externalize those dependencies and they will rely on the fact that the first will be loaded this vendor package that contains one or multiple shared frameworks or libraries and then they will be loaded so they will rely that basically when microphone is loaded in the page the framework is already available so you can minimize definitely this thing the challenge there is creating a solid governance that would allow the development teams to update securely and with a good structure the process for deploying a new version because at some point there will be a new version of angular react that they want to deploy and they need to make sure that every microphone is up to the game because otherwise uh, they could have some runtime errors or uh, issues for the user experience that really you don't want to have. So we talked about just briefly some of the different ways of composing these pieces. We could do it all client side, which has some advantages. We could do it server side, which has different pros and cons, or even edge side, as you'd mentioned. Could you just explore a little bit and compare and contrast why these different approaches would be right for different groups? Sure. Let's start with server side. I would say that when you have SEO requirements or, for instance, you are developing an application that doesn't require to have, uh, a, if you want, a native application feeling. I'm thinking at the moment like when I was developing on uh, smart TVs where you need to have this sort of feeling that the application is always there. Using server-side rendering is a great approach. And moreover, there is also the fact that you can really optimize your code before it's shipped. So uh, often if you work in, uh, uh, with an application in countries where the infrastructure is not as great as it should be, and you would really want to optimize at the byte, server-side rendering is definitely the, the, way, the way to go. Edge-side include or edge-side uh, development in this case is usually used. So I've seen currently uh, only with uh, IKEA that was uh, on InfoQ a nice article that was describing that part where they were describing basically how they have implemented using edge side include and client side include the good thing of uh, say creating microfrontends on the edge is the um, scalability because obviously point of presses uh, in a CDN are way more than uh, origins uh, that you can have. But the, the drawback there is that developer experience is not great at all. And the other thing is edge side include is not available in all the CDNs, the providers. 
And also the CDN that are embracing this markup language, they are not using the full specs. So you can find them in Akamai definitely, but in other say vendors, uh, they have a subset of the uh, possibilities. And finally, you have the problem of a dynamic content. So imagine that, for instance, you want to have a personalized catalog, you risk that you need to implement a that portion using client-side includes. That basically is the same technique of edge-side include, but it's happening on the client side. And there is basically starting to have a bit of code that is happening on, on the edge side and, and some others that he's using on the client side. There is nothing wrong with that, but I would say it's slightly more complicated because if with server-side or isomorphic application, it's to a certain extent, there are tools for handling that properly. Nowadays, in the developer experience uh, for edge-side include, is not that uh, frictionless. And finally, client-side rendering is uh, used in all the use cases where uh, you use a single-page application. So if you want to have a very immersive experience for the user and uh, or you want to create, for instance, a solution that is trying to mimic without too many reload of, of the application, what you could have in a sort of, of native uh, experience, uh, you, can, you can think about that. So what I'm going to see next is really my anecdotal personal bias. I didn't really do a survey or anything, but my impression is that micro frontends are a new contender idea. Maybe they will become the standard or the norm, but they aren't that today. Most people currently still build these sort of monolithic, maybe single page apps or things like that. Can you talk a little bit about the reasons someone doing that traditional type of development might be motivated to migrate their application? There are several. For instance, the fact that you are de-risking the deployment uh, is, is a big one, despite the size of the organization. The other one is uh, organizations are growing very fast nowadays and applications are developed by many teams. So we have to find a way to scale your our development practices, also on the front end, not only on the back end. So I would say it's... it's uh, quite key in my opinion thinking if we obviously I'm not saying that microfrontends are a silver bullet uh, at all I know that there are some limitations and it became more complicated and there is some overhead uh, behind them but in reality when you start to scale your organization I think are inevitable and having you can think on having some benefits of microfrontends modularizing your code but it requires a lot of discipline a lot of coordination and it's something that you could do up to a certain extent when you are growing but then when you hit i don't know five seven ten fifteen teams working on the same code base it becomes more time working on doing meetings than than writing code so you really need to figure out a way for creating independent teams and therefore if uh, uh, scaling challenges and let's say reducing the blast radio for for the deployment are some of the uh, key benefits that are provided by these this approach do you find that there's any learning curve for technology groups who decide to adopt this philosophy? Totally. I think uh, uh, more on the technology side that I would say there are a few concepts to be aware. It depends which architecture style you are going to, to go through, uh, so client-side rendering or server-side rendering. I think the main challenge is a mindset challenge uh, where you really need to understand how you should slice your application, how you the different parts, the different microfrontends should communicate together, if it's ephemeral data, if it's a token, for instance, you want to share how the, the to design 
client APIs uh, for Mac frontends uh, and so on and so forth. So there are some shift of mindset that has to happen and sometimes also accepting that, that duplicating some code at the beginning is not that bad. Like uh, often we, I know the developers are really enjoying the fact to abstract code, but unfortunately premature abstraction are definitely more expensive than, than duplicated code. So we really need to understand when to do that because we are moving away from a monolithic environment where basically everything is there and everything is under the eyes of everyone. But we are moving more to a decentralized environment where uh, you have every team that should operate inside certain boundaries and you cannot have uh, eyes in every single part. So that basically will lead to have more automation and thinking uh, more globally about, about the application. Well, you've outlined a number of factors that make these ideas very appealing from a software engineer's point of view in terms of code maintainability, the release cycle, all of these positive aspects. When I think beyond a software engineer who might be excited about this and think about, well, what about graphic designers and UI UX people? If I frame it in the most negative light, maybe they would say, oh, now I have instead of one path to execute my work, I have to interface with N teams and get them to all coordinate to achieve the design and the style and the interface I want. Is there going to be new challenges for UX, UI and graphic designers and things like that and people like that? I think they need to figure out what is the best way for communicating. Definitely, there will be some communication challenges. My usually, my, my advice usually is uh, starting with uh, the basics. So having a solid design system that can be embedded and then potentially start to collaborate closer with, with the teams. I have seen many organizations where designers are completely detached from development team. Others that I've seen them collaborating more strictly and, and uh, obviously having a different output and outcome from being detached. So I would say definitely there will be some some changes, but I don't think it is going to be, let's say, a massive change that is going to be so disruptive. I really think that you you can, with the right amount of people and having uh, the, the right amount of governance around that, you will be able to have a very consistent and cohesive uh, experience for your users. I think the governance here is the key when we talk about UX and, and UI. Because the moment that you understand that you have distributed system and there, there, it requires some coordination when you want to apply certain things everywhere or in multiple parts of the application, having a solid governance that has to be refined. Meanwhile, obviously, the, the developers are working and also uh, the company is, is evolving. It's quite a, a strong requirement, in my opinion. When I, I was thinking about that and we were implementing, I've seen that the, the fact that you have a communication flows that are going smoothly across multiple teams, it was quite a requirement. So that for me, and it's not only for UX and UI, it's basically for everything that is shared across multiple teams. You've mentioned a couple of large organizations already embracing these ideas, and I know there's a few more listed in the actual book. That said, so it's, you know, ideas definitely worth paying attention to. Where are we on the adoption slash hype cycle? I would say that currently we started to ramp up the adoption. There are many, many uh, organizations, enterprise organizations especially, that are looking into them. They are doing the first POCs or they have already something, let's say, uh, ready to be shipped or already in production. So I have seen mainly enterprise customers, mainly 
because uh, if you think about that, they already have maybe some some monolithic architectures that uh, have to migrate away and they want to scale their platform or they want to even to create consistency across uh, multiple portals that they're handling or multiple products that they're handling. And therefore, they want to create a unique experience for, for the user. And they think that this approach of microfrontends could, could help them. To a certain extent, I have, I have also uh, seen many customers that they have a sort of microfrontends implementation. I'm pretty sure that if you're familiar with microservices, you have heard at least once the concept of modular monolith, where you are basically creating your code in a way that then migrating from a modular monolith to microservices could make sense. And sometimes having a modular monolith is more than enough. Uh, or it's exactly what you need. And in this case, uh, it's the same. I have seen uh, people that were working with some concept of microfrontends without uh, uh, f- uh, using the full fledge of, of the architecture uh, that is already in production for several years and they divided their application in multiple parts so the team can be independent. So this need is not something new. It's something that it was there, but no one uh, trying to streamline in a way that could be replicable by, by many. Well, from our discussion, I feel like I've gained a pretty clear idea on how I would take these ideas into developing some uh, desktop application that runs in my web browser. Uh, and of course, I can make you know a mobile-friendly web view version of that. But there's also a certain amount of the web that runs on native applications and things like that. Can we bring these ideas into a, a native mobile setting as well? Uh, yes, indeed. The interesting part, I think at the moment, the main implementation I have seen uh, was made by ThoughtWorks that they use for an Android application uh, because you can, let's say, leverage the same the same concept if you think about that. So you can load some packages that represent certain features that basically represent these certain domains, and therefore you can lazy load portion of the application based on the user experience. One thing, although, that we need to be aware is uh, how you want to create this user experience for your your customer because sometimes you download an application but then you are not opening the app straight away. You're opening maybe when you don't have enough connection or you don't have connection at all. And therefore we need to think also that, uh, let's say, edge case and uh, try to handle uh, in a nice way the user experience for the the user. It could be as simple as uh, suggesting that the application should be available only when uh, a user is uh, connected uh, or in some other ways, maybe having prepackaged certain area of the application that would allow a user at least to see something or have an ex- a, por- a partial experience. But apart from that, yes, I have seen on uh, on definitely on Android implementation and on other uh, frameworks like I was mentioning before, Ionic. That is uh, another framework that would allow you to to achieve that. Uh, and it was released literally a few days ago, so uh, I still have to put my hands, my head inside the whole concept, but it seems promising what I've seen. From the end user's perspective, if I'm not uh, involved in the software, I'm just the consumer of some application, should I be able to tell that they've adopted these philosophies? Ideally, no, because otherwise it means that we are, we are failing. 
the moment as a user, I should have a cohesive and coherent experience. The plus for me as a user, if a company is using microphone tens, is the fact that I can see more often uh, changes and new features uh, because developers are moving faster. And that for me is the, is the main uh, the main plus. You could argue that with certain engineering practice, practices, you can uh, have something similar. But sometimes, uh, you know, especially in certain environments, you need not only engineering practices, but you need to have some architectural structure that would enable developers to, to uh, use engineering practice that to move faster. And that is uh, quite key. And I think for the final user, they should have exactly the same experience that they had before without any being penalized at all. If I ask you to speculate and think, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years out, what percentage of the web is going to be uh, following these design principles? Oh, that's a good question. I would say that not much. I would don't say that we'd be mainstream, like 50% of the website would be there. But I think that would be quite a lot of enterprise software that would be developed in this way. Because I see a lot of value in, in large organizations. Uh, I've seen also smaller organizations using microphone tents for multi-tenant applications. That is another use case that I have seen. But it wasn't ramping up like I have seen with enterprise customers. Well, circling back around on the book, uh, building micro front ends, is this for an executive, uh, like a C-level CTO, a developer, or who's the audience? The audience is what I call the tech leadership that could include from a senior developer to a CTO. The reason behind that is I always thought that as an architect, my role is trying to create mental models that would allow anyone to understand from the C-suite to developers how we could write software. And more often than not, in many books, I have seen a lot of examples and people that were taking those examples and applying production, but without thinking what there was behind. Instead, with the book, I wanted to do something different. I want to provide the mental models, the reasoning behind that, and then the implementation details I leave to the different frameworks that are mentioned inside the book, because I'm pretty sure that they do a better job than what I could do, especially because they are changing more often than, than a book. I have also some parts where I describe how the code is working and how we should reasoning for dividing an application and so on. But I I have to say it's not a, a, a book where you can find uh, many lines of, of code for covering all the different practices because I truly believe first we need to understand the architecture, the principles and how everything should work and then understanding the reasoning for migrating towards microphone That is another part that I dedicated a big part of, of the book. So in the book is uh, not covering only the technical aspect but also the organizational aspect, uh, the practices on how to communicate between teams, how to uh, design the API successfully for microphone and the different options that we have available, how to share let's say, information between microphone tents, and so on and so forth. So it's definitely a book that provides uh, strong ideas that I have seen successfully implemented in, in multiple frameworks, but uh, going there and covering for every single framework, it would be unrealistic. So for those tech leaders, senior developers, all the way up to C-levels who might be interested in the book, where can they find you online and where can they learn more about the book? There is a website called uh, buildingmicrofrontends.com. 
where uh, you can see how the book is structured and there is also a newsletter that I um, every now and then I, 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 I try to send some updates on the book and what's happening and what the people are thinking. Recently, uh, O'Reilly shared a for free chapter free that is uh, quite a key chapter for the book where I'm describing uh, basically what microphone tents are, how to slice the application, the principles behind micro- microphone tents because I think uh, is uh, quite key to, uh, a key chapter for for the entire book. Then also if you look for my first name, a last name, you know every social you can find me uh, very easily and yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, Luca, thank you so much for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure being here.